0: Wherever there are shadows, there are people ready to kick at the darkness until it bleeds daylight. This is Bleeding Daylight with your host, Rodney Olsen.
1: We're in for a great episode today with an Aussie guest who carries a diverse mix of influences, allowing him to see elements of Western culture from a very different and quite enlightening perspective. While you're listening, you can search for Bleeding Daylight on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. I'd love to connect with you. Seth Emery is a writer, musician, graphic designer, podcaster and a whole lot more. He has lived in various places around the world but these days calls Adelaide, South Australia home. His book, Picture the Story, asks, if God's story is called Good News, what's so good about it? What does it have to do with us today? Today, we'll explore some of Seth's story on Bleeding Daylight. Seth, thank you so much for your time.
0: Thanks, Rob. Now, I'm looking forward to seeing what happens today.
1: (laughs) Well, we know that it's our early years that often set the direction of our lives, and your early years were anything but what most would call normal. Tell me, where did you grow up?
0: Oh man, I I had a really cool upbringing. Um, I grew up in Papua New Guinea. My parents were missionaries. I've got three siblings. We spent the first, well I spent the first 18 years of my life in New Guinea and that was both in a tribe uh, for some of that. It was at boarding school for a big chunk of that but it was just surrounded with people from uh, so many different countries uh, all kind of merged together. So I, I grew up with a very different worldview and a very weird accent.
1: <laughs> there must be a richness that that has brought to your life to be living in a different place to, to where you're now living, obviously, but also living amongst a, a range of people with a range of cultures brought together.
0: Yeah, oh, I absolutely loved it. So I, I kind of always felt a little bit like I didn't fit because I had a different accent. So there weren't heaps of Aussies um, in the school that we grew up in, but the kind of feeling slightly different like I didn't fit with you know all the internationals but then I also didn't fit with the New Guineans it kind of shaped me to who I am and my personality was um, really built around some of that so I'm sure some people can go through the same type of thing and come out very different but for me it was really it was really cool just hearing uh, different accents different world views or oh, not really world views, let's be honest It was a Christian school. We had very similar worldviews, but there was a lot of different um, interpretations and and backgrounds that were in there. So um, I love that. And then coming back to Australia, just really, uh, I was formed by what I believed it meant to be the church. And so that heavily shifted the last, how long is it now? 18, 19 years I've been in Australia, so...
1: Yeah, You're talking about people having very similar worldviews within that context in in PNG, but when did those sorts of worldviews become yours? I mean, surely you're not just brought up by missionary parents and you think, yeah, well, I'll go along with that. When did this idea of faith start to become your own?
0: That's a a good question because I've kind of wrestled with this for a long time where, like I hear some people sharing their testimonies and the more intense story of um you know, I used to be like this, but now I'm like that. For me, all I knew growing up was mission life. So living by faith, um, my parents had to raise support, all that sort of stuff. Also cross-cultural stuff. And so there wasn't like a pinpoint or a, a one moment that made me think, boom, from then on, I was a, I was a Christian. All I can say, and I'll, I'll share a little bit of it, but I know now I'm beyond a shadow of a doubt. The Spirit is with me. I'm a follower of Jesus. And there were some really crucial points in there. And so when I was about, you know, the classic sort of six years old around that, I realized through Bible stories that there's something bigger. And um, my understanding was if I'm good, I can go to heaven. If I'm bad, I'd go to somewhere else that I don't want to be. And I think that that kind of the fear shocked me into thinking, oh, I should probably pay attention. But it wasn't until I was like 13 where I realized, hang on, I think there's so much more than that. I don't even think um, that's kind of Jesus' message. And I, be, I was baptized at 13 uh, with a bunch of my friends. It was a really cool time. We are in a river uh, and it was a really strong current and they kind of dunked us and then we popped up like, you know, four or five feet down the river. <laughs> so uh, in New Guinea. Um, but it wasn't until later on when I was 18, I had this really bad motorbike accident, and that that really shook me. I should have died. It was in New Guinea. And that got me thinking, well, why aren't I dead? Like, what well, why am I here? I would say that was probably the turning point where I I took my faith more seriously. I wanted to dig into why do I believe what I believe? And and I've known all this stuff, but it wasn't until maybe 18 or 19 that I really dove in deep. And yeah, that really shifted the way that because then it was around that time I came back to Australia and I saw the church with all these different denominations, which was kind of a new concept to me. And all of that to say, in my mid-20s, early 20s, I started realizing that faith isn't just something within inside of me. There's actions and outworks and all this stuff that I'm sure I had been taught and told when I was growing up. It just didn't, like, land until my mid-20s. And now in my late 30s, I'm sold out, you know, like I'm full-on. No one's going to change my mind really about uh, some of the core things about who God is and what it means to be part of his kingdom. When I became a Christian, I don't know. I just know that I am now and there was a lot of points in in my life that drew me closer to Jesus.
1: In that early time, you mentioned that – this idea of faith seemed to be uh, a way of getting your ticket to heaven mm-hmm. uh, to, to ensure that you weren't going somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then realising that that wasn't really the, the full Christian message. Mm-hmm. And yet we still find that in some places that is the message. What was it that was the turning point for you to decide, aha, that, that's part of it, but it, it's not the main game? I mean, this sounds really basic, but
0: I was—I read the Bible and I just didn't see Jesus teaching like that, like his, his teaching. And this was when I was a teenager, so it was very sort of shallow understanding. But the basic, most simple way I could see it was he seemed to be bringing something to earth as opposed to us getting taken away from earth to some distant place. And every time he would talk about the kingdom coming, it was something tangible, not just spiritual. It was kind of both. You think of like there's a there's a story where Jesus is entering this village and this parade is kind of coming out, but he finds out it's this funeral and uh, a widow had lost her only son. And what Jesus did is he goes up and he, he dresses the woman, which, again, was culturally just a, a strange thing to do, and he he restores the child, brings the child back to life. And you can kind of see what's happening there is the kingdom is touching is touching the woman in a way that makes her not just spiritually alive but now her son who was going to be the only source of income had been gone but is now restored and her who she was going to be kind of pushed to the side because now she doesn't have a husband or a child and so she's sort of an outcast but now that's been restored so socially she's restored so financially socially spiritually there's just all these different elements and I remember thinking if it's just about me getting a ticket to something, what's all that about? You know, what's Jesus going on about? And that kind of started me digging in, especially particularly when I um, had the motorbike accident. I was like, okay, I, I should I should be here.
1: You mentioned there that Jesus starts talking to the woman, and that's a, a big change in culture that would have shaken things up quite a, a lot. Where do you think we stand with that today, as the the Christian Church? Are we shaking culture? Or are we just going along with culture a lot of the time?
0: Oh, man, that is a that is a potent question. At a risk of sounding controversial, I think I think the gracious answer would be a lot of pastors and a lot of leaders genuinely want to love their neighbours and care for the people who are gathering with them. But I think in the process, there seems to be a bit of a trend. And again, I'm judging from far, so this is not a good way to do it but in my circles i've seen a number of people who they have a genuine love and they want to help but in order to do that they're really watering down some some biblical truths some things that jesus definitely didn't water down and i think it might be from coming from a good place but in doing so we're actually missing the power of the kingdom we're missing the power of the spirit we're missing the power of what jesus like the good news he actually brought. And so, yeah, I think, I think there is, seems to be a lot of people who are kind of going with the flow or jumping on the latest trend, whether it's, you know, whatever hashtag is out. And, and there's a lot of good stuff happening in that. But I, I don't think, at least uh, what I'm aware of, a, a lot of people aren't thinking through maybe the implications. They're just like, oh, yep, yeah, let's go with that. We're not really counter-cultural, <laughs> the church isn't, at least in Australia. And compared to some places around the world. And that's because maybe we have had it so, we're so used to having the government and the broader culture reflect some of the aspects of what it means to be a Christian. And now that they're not, we think, oh, what? We're getting persecuted. Or, you know, (laughs) so we're fighting against maybe some of the wrong things.
1: Let's rewind a little. It was your late teens when you came to Australia. Was that because your parents decided to end their, their missionary time that they had uh, spent their, that season there? Or was that something that you did yourself, that you returned to Australia?
0: Once you finish high school, um, you're not allowed really with visas and stuff to stay up there unless you work and, and all that. And so we finished high school. We came back here. My parents kind of dropped us off or dropped me off. My older brother was already here. And they were with me for six months, kind of settled me in, and then went back to New Guinea. And they were in New Guinea for another um, maybe 15 years after that. So um, we would see them every, every three or four years they'd come back. Yeah, that's kind of what you do. You come back here and, and settle in and kind of get into life back here.
1: And now you're in an interesting place because you felt to some degree that you didn't fit in there in PNG because you, you were kind of the other in, in that space. But now you must be feeling the same way in your home country of Australia. Totally.
0: Totally. They've got the term, it's a third culture kid. Um, it's just such a, a strange uh, dynamic where I, I, I grew up in a place where I looked different to everyone, but I felt like that was my home but I didn't quite fit in. And now I come back here where I look like the majority of people and I sound like them, but I don't feel like I fit. And it's it's like this weird reverse culture. Um, it actually took me about four or five years to process or at least be acknowledge I needed to process some of it. And so, yeah, it was tough when I first came back. But I think part of my personality and the way God's wired me is to roll with the punches and just kind of, learn or see the best in things and just like well this is how it is how do we move forward some others came back and just really really struggled with you know the the total massive differences like one of the biggest differences of coming back here is new guinea is a a relational communal place and so time has very little meaning up there if you say you're going to be somewhere at, at you know 12 o'clock and on the way you bump into a cousin or something, you have someone you haven't seen in who knows how long, you'll talk for an hour or two or three and then you show up to whatever appointment you had at whatever time it was and the person's been sitting there for three hours waiting and they don't mind. You just say, oh, yeah, sorry, I bumped into someone. So, oh, yeah, that's fine. How's it going? A very laid back and they call it PNG time or island time, whereas here you come five minutes late you're kind of in trouble. So that that took me a while to get used to.
1: You do have this unique place of being able to appraise the culture in which you're now immersed and you would see things differently. You would see things that most of us just being brought up here wouldn't see. What were some of the things that, that really stood out to you? You mentioned that, that time difference, that relaxed nature that you had come from and, and now it's very different. What were some of the other things that you saw as a bit of a culture shock for you?
0: Two big ones. One is kind of more on the secular scene um, and the other one's more on the church stuff. So the secular one was uh, I couldn't really relate to most Aussie blokes. Like it felt when I came back like guys weren't allowed to show any emotions. They just had to sort of make fun of things and, you know, play everything down, you know, kind of play footy and, you know, the classic sort of stereotype stuff, which I didn't grow up with footy as in Aussie rules I grew up with rugby and so in Adelaide rugby doesn't exist really <laughs> and so automatically I'm like I don't know what you guys are talking about so I didn't fit in and I got a trade so I was I did cabinet making and so I was with all like tradies and there just seemed to be this I'm not allowed to show what's going on on the inside or be serious about stuff um, and that was a real big culture shock for me because I, I love music and I like to kind of um, talk about deep things, and, and I got made fun of quite a bit because, one, I didn't have a girlfriend when I came back and I was more sensitive and more emotional, well not emotional, but more um in tune with emotions and feelings, and so I got called all sorts of things. Um, so that was a big culture shock. And then seeing some of that in the church as well where a lot of Aussie guys didn't know how to connect with their prayer life or um, enjoying creation or things like that, I was like, whoa, okay, So it gave me a big heart to, not that I knew how to do it better, but I was like, hey, you know, there's another option. We can actually enjoy going on a walk on the beach, you know, or something, you know, that cliche guys don't usually want to admit they like. And so I had a heart to kind of hang out more with guys and kind of wrestle with some of that stuff. So that was a big culture shock. The other one uh, more with the church was... was, um, I didn't quite understand how people would come along to a Sunday gathering, Sunday church service, and call that church. Like it it just didn't make sense to me. I'm like, well, how do you fit all that into two hours, you know, and maybe a morning tea or something? It it just was so uh, far from me to understand church as an event because the way that I grew up is – I got to see shared leadership done really well, at least from what I could tell as a teenager, watching it uh, in the mission. I got to see um, people doing life on life. It was literally a mission community. It was a community that was on mission together. And I just assumed that's what church was. That's what church was like. And I knew whenever we'd come back uh, to Australia, I'd, I'd we'd go and I knew it was kind of different, but it didn't really hit until I was living back here. And I was like, okay, people actually see things very different to the way that I assume. And so again, that really shaped where my heart was and how I felt like God was equipping me and, and possibly using me in Adelaide to help help the church or the people around me see a, another way of being the church and not just kind of checking in and checking out, but how do we live life on life together? How do we do everyday church, all that sort of stuff
1: so it was really love the lord your god with all your heart with all your soul with all your mind within 2 hours on a sunday morning
0: right i mean that's that's how it felt and i know i know it didn't it wasn't actually like that there were so many people here who were ahead of me as far as missionally thinking and, and i got to learn from a lot but in general i really felt like yeah we just check in and check out
1: and when did it turn for you from being immediately this kind of critique of this society that you now find yourself in and then realizing, well, actually others have things to teach me too, but this is something that I can actually input and I can help people along this path with the things that I've learned.
0: I think I haven't quite reached the point where I feel like I've got a lot to offer yet. That's because no matter where I'm at, I always feel like I'm running a little bit behind everyone because uh, I don't come from here. I don't speak the same thing or I haven't been to all the camps or, you know, whatever it is. I believe some of those lies that I think are lies, saying you're not actually good enough to tell people what, you know, how, how to live or whatever. Um, and I think some of that is really good and needed, but I also think some of it is uh, like that false humility where I have to kind of play myself down. I think it kind of that shift happened. We accidentally started a little community uh, on a Thursday night um, where there was a handful of us who were going to church. Uh, we, we used to go to Hawthorne Church of Christ, um, and it was a great little place. Uh, but we realized after the meetings, after the teaching, we'd all just talk about sports or something. And so me and three other guys, or two other guys, or three of us, started meeting on a Thursday night and said, let's talk about what we're learning and see how we can play it out. And that, over about six years uh, it grew from the three of us to like there were about 400 plus kind of coming in and out over those six years and we kind of re retook like reclaimed what it means for us as in this generation to um, experience what churches and in that in that time was so it was so good we ended up meeting together uh, for a meal and then we'd get some sort of teaching either with a podcast or we'd have someone come in and teach us or or we would you know, do some teaching and there was really good shared leadership. And then after the teaching, we break off into different spaces. So we had like a room where people would pray or if they wanted to, then we had like a worship space where people would just pick up guitars and and do free worship. And then we had like a a space where people could talk and kind of wrestle through some of that. It was in that time where I think God really softened my heart to be like, Seth, you don't know how to do everything. (laughs) You need the community around you to teach you. And there were some beautiful conversations and friendships that were developed uh, in that time that still we're talking now 10 years later. Yeah, um, we're still getting benefits from some of that stuff.
1: And these days you're, you're still working in that space of helping people to understand church in a different way. But obviously you're doing that alongside others so that they can bring their experience too. We've actually
0: um, started a church called Gathered Church,
1: which, again, wasn't intentional.
0: We didn't want to start a church. We just wanted to gather people together who didn't quite fit the traditional structure. So we absolutely love the church. But in 2019, um, they did this big study, the Barna Research Group, and they found that in Australia and in New Zealand, there were this huge disproportionate amount of people who grew up in the church who were leaving the church And they found that 72% of people no longer want to be part of the religious church institution, and out of that, the majority of them eventually, like there's this progression over five years, eventually they stop spending time with God's people and then eventually they just want nothing to do with Jesus. And so we were kind of wrestling with, well, how, how how do we love these people? How do we reach them? So we started meeting with a bunch of people and a lot of them were just friends who have kind of been burnt out and we're like, well, why, why are you leaving? Like what's going on? And we found that um, most of them, there were these similar themes popping up where they felt like, Hey, look, I just, I just don't fit. You know, I've, I've got all these gifts or this, I, I, I want to participate, but there's no space. I can't like, I don't, I don't have a place. And so I'm going to go somewhere else and do it, whether it's in business or something else. Um so that was one they didn't fit and another one that kept coming up was look I've got some really tough questions kind of deconstructing questions that I'm not allowed to ask because it kind of makes people feel uncomfortable so I'm just going to go and ask people who will listen and for those reasons we thought we need to have this third space so the two options seem to be either stay in church and you hate it, right? This is what we're hearing from these guys. Stay in church, you just suck it up and deal with it, or you leave and eventually leave Jesus. And that was like the only two options people had um, if they were wrestling with this. And so we created this third space where we didn't have buildings, we didn't have staff. It was kind of like the idea was we just want to meet together, gather with other Christians who may be in that place where they don't quite feel comfortable in a church building or What for whatever reason, and how do we love them and and be encouraging them and supporting them and drawing them back to gospel truths without sort of forgetting the purpose of why we are the church, and that is to be ambassadors of the kingdom. That kind of happened, and then it formed into like this little group that ended up meeting in different gatherings, and um, it kind of became a church without a building or without staff. I get the privilege of heading that up and helping lead that and unlearning a bunch of stuff. So I get to do that in my free time because there's no staff or or anything, and we're also working with a group called Power to Change. They used to be Campus Crusade for Christ, and we're part of the church movement's strategy within that, Uh, and we raise support, so we're missionaries with them part-time. Yeah, there's all these opportunities that God has kind of given me where I feel like the experiences that I've had is able to help care for people around us who just feel a little bit lost or a little bit left out. I guess the way we would say, you know how there's a parable where Jesus leaves the ninety-nine sheep to find the one? We feel like we would gladly leave the twenty eight percent who who are part of church and and thriving and that's good and that's we love what God's doing there. But we leave that twenty-eight to find the 72% who had lost their floating, sons and daughters who were drifting.
1: And, of course, you're not in this alone. You're part of a family. Mm. Give me a snapshot of your immediate family.
0: Michelle is my wife, and she's uh, from Seattle, actually. So she's Puerto Rican, living in Seattle, or was living in Seattle. We met, and she's gladly moved to Australia. She's been here for... ooh. 11 years now, so we're about to celebrate our 10th year anniversary. So she has a really, again, a different perspective not being an Aussie. So both her and I don't feel, even though we both feel Australian now because we've been here, we both kind of can critique and enjoy different aspects of the Aussie culture that maybe others just take for granted. And then we've got three little boys, which, man, there's a lot of energy in our house. Corbin is eight and Esher is... Five. He's about to turn six, and Micah is about to
1: turn four. Now, I want to delve into your book. Tell me what drove you to to write that, and tell me a bit about it.
0: I love stories. I think we're really shaped and formed by stories, both the stories the culture tells us and the stories we tell ourselves, as well as the true story um, of who we are. I just thought there's so many good retellings of of God's story um, that have really been helpful for me over the years, but I noticed that some of the times when they're being retold, we know it's all about God and uh, he's the main character, but often uh, I would retell them and I'd hear other, reta- other retellings where God is kind of the footnote and it's all about Abraham or, you know, David and, and any, all these biblical heroes become the hero of the story and we miss the real hero who God is. And so that got me on this little uh, idea of, well, how, how could we retell it? where God is, God is the one that's doing all the action. He's the one that's pursuing. He's the one that is redeeming. He's the one that, like, all those sort of things. Uh, again, this was with a group of people who were kind of wrestling with this. And we came up with this idea that there's at least seven stages. And then once we had that, I kind of, I, I just love diving into things. So there's these seven stages of God's story. And the first one is shalom. So everything is at peace. Everything is the way he wants it to be. And then it goes on with deception and then God pursues us. And then there's um, redemption and then there's the mission of the church. And then there's this conquer story, which often I I noticed was kind of like a tag on, but there's a big, big part of the story is where Jesus comes back. He is, he's seen as the King. And then there's shalom again and where things are in the right relationship And in the process of kind of doing that, we realized there's what the ancient Hebrews and ancient writers called a chiasm or chiastic structure, and that's where the main point of a story is right in the middle, which is very different to how we in the West tell a story. We kind of build up right to the end and then the climax and the big battle or whatever, and then they live happily ever after, and that's kind of the end. The Bible actually isn't written like that. Um, and the more I started looking into this, did heaps of research around teachings and writings on different chiastic structures within the Bible, and we saw that the whole Bible is this retelling of the first half. So it's like the first half of the story is uh, leading up to Jesus, and then from Jesus onward, everything is retold, but with added, like a fuller version. And so once that kind of hit me, I was like, oh, I want I want others to know about this. So I started gathering all of my thoughts and, and putting it on into a little book, which is really cool because we've been able to share it with a number of people who would never go to a church building. It just is very simple. And they're like, oh, I get it. This is cool. I actually want to know a creator who's like this. So that, that was kind of the beginnings of the book. And then I added some of my own thoughts around um, the great reversal and uh, others who have kind of been resistant of, you know, why should I believe this? It's, it's been, a, it was a good, good journey came out about three or four years ago.
1: And what's been the response from people? Because obviously you're going to have people of faith, but also, as you mentioned, people who are just wanting to explore faith starting to read through. What what has been the response?
0: Really good. I've got to be honest, part of the reason I, I wrote the book is because I knew that I had these 15, about 15 friends who were, didn't, didn't know Jesus, weren't overly interested in going to church. But if I said, hey, I wrote this book, could you read it? They would read it. And so there was, it had that little bit of a, like a aspect to it. So the feedback I got from my friends was, it was really good. Like there was the kind of, as in people who were kind of distant from Jesus, they would, they read it and there was just a lot of, it was like a good question starter or conversation starter. And it kind of ends in the book with this idea of, you know, what's so good about the good news, right? Like, Because even the the demons believe in Jesus, they know he existed, but what he did isn't good news to them. And so there's something special in the fact that I believe this is good news. And that idea kind of shifted both Christians and non-Christians in, huh, I hadn't thought of it that way. There's a group in Melbourne who are talking about potentially taking the, the story, the seven sort of chapters, and turning it into uh, an app or something where People can, you know, wrestle with that uh, each chapter of those seven parts uh, with questions and stuff. So I'm just happy that it that it's helped those 15 friends of mine.
1: And, and of course, that's not the extent of your creativity. You're you're involved in in a range of creative ventures in in graphic design, in in poetry, and and in music. Certainly, uh, producing your own music as, as well. I'm wondering about the whole creative side of things. Because I, I do hear people say I'm not a creative kind of person. What would you say to them?
0: It's funny I every time someone says that I would I'll, I'll argue with them in a loving way but I disagree with it I think we are made to reflect our creator who is a creative right So at some level we are all creative. The problem is I think our culture has just told us what creativity is and they've put it in a box where whether it's art, or drama or music, and that's the creative because you're tapping into something, you know, Im- emotional or feelings or whatever. I, I know, I've know i got friends who uh, maybe they have, they've never written a song or painted anything or anything, you know, visual like that, but they walk into a room and the way that they can connect the dots with the different people, there is a creativity that happens in their conversation that, that says, you know, like they just, the whole room changes when they come in. For for the good, right? Like we're talking, good creativity is life-giving, and so someone enters a room and they just they recognize, oh, this person should talk with this person, or or when they're talking to me, I need to ask these questions, and and that's a form of creativity because they're thinking things through and they're being um, intentional. And then there's others, and this one always gets people because this sounds so uncreative in our culture, but it is so creative. The way that they manage. A schedule, or run an event, whether it's all—it's all detail and it's all um, putting things in the right order, like that. That is a creative side that is ignored, and I'm so thankful for it because I'm not good at that. Like that is something I've—I'm just I'm not strong in. But to have someone who can can take all this mess, right, or a bunch of people doing a bunch of different things, and creatively make them work together for some big event or to formulate. <laughs> some like stats or analytical stuff in a way that people understand, like that's that's creative.
1: How do you help people to actually understand what their own creativity is? As you mentioned, there's, there's just a couple of examples there where people haven't realised that these are creative expressions of some kind How do people start to delve into themselves and see where God has planted creativity?
0: The way that I've done it, I think is kind of unintentional, but it kind of flowed out is when I see it, I I just name it and I'm like, wow, that was really creative. You know, "Oh man, thank you for that. I could never do that. And like really highlighting the fact that every part of the body is important and that's all for different purposes. And so the more that People around me, my family, my friends are building the habits of actually highlighting why we need each other and why we need the body of Christ and highlighting those things that the gifts and the skills that they bring, not necessarily just in saying, oh, that's creative, but even though it is, but really reminding and kind of redirecting the energy around this is reflecting God in this way. Right, And so the way that you're doing that, it's just, that reminds me of how God is super creative when he came up with all these names or, you know, whatever. And so I guess just talking about it and really highlighting it is a big one.
1: And I think the, I could never do that is probably one of the biggest keys. One of the things that I've certainly learned over the years is the things that come easy to me that I think are no big deal because that's my gifting.
0: yeah. Yeah, you often don't have to think about the stuff that you're good at. You're just like, what, serious? Why wouldn't you do it this way? You know, (laughs) it's just natural.
1: (laughs) There are other things that you're involved in and I just want to touch on those things before Mm -hmm. we we finish our conversation, such as a a podcast that you're a part of. So a friend of
0: mine uh, found out that we both were um, intrigued about personalities and particularly one personality tool called the Enneagram. It's an empathetic tool. It's one that helps us understand the people around us and ourselves. Her name's Serena and she's a co-host and she contacted me and said, look, there isn't really anything around this in the Australian context where we're talking in light of, of being Christians and in light of in the Aussie culture. Would you be interested in in doing something with me? And I was like, yeah, I'd love it, you know, always always up for something new. We found it was just a good way to use the language around you know how to understand people better, and how to how to actually reflect God as a community. And so there's nine different uh, personality types, and so the podcast is called the Nine Design. And the idea is we have nine different ways that reflect our, our Maker, our God, our Father, and each one of us reflect different aspects when we are living in our new selves. Right. So as we're transformed by the Spirit, the Bible talks about how we we put on this new self. And die to the old self, and the old self is kind of like the the coping mechanisms, and some, and more often than not, the really unhealthy side of our personalities shine through that. And so, the podcast is about is more than just the Enneagram. It's more about um, how do we be the the people of God, uh, knowing that we're all very different, and often we we sometimes can clash. How do we deal with that instead of just dividing? Because we we know the spirit is all about uniting, not dividing. It's it's good fun. We're in our third season. We're recording our third season right now. We're looking particularly like or a particular focus on the body center. And so there's three different centers. There's those of us who think more with the feelings and emotions. There's those who think more with the the planning and the the brain and the the thinking centre, and then there's those who are more instinctive or a like gut response, and that's the ones we're focusing on for this season.
1: Seth, I feel that we've gone so many different places. This has <laughs> not this has not been a linear conversation, but I, I guess to suit your personality, nothing else would do do your life justice. We're, that your life has had this this randomness but knowing that that has all been directed by a loving God. So it's been a great conversation, and I, mm. I've, I've really enjoyed the time. If people are wanting to connect with you, and as I say, we've only just touched on some of the things mm-hmm. that you're involved in, but if people wanted to connect with you and find out even more, where would they go?
0: I've got a website called sethemery.com because, <laughs> like you said, I've got, I'm have got connected with so many things, I just wanted to put it in one place. So uh, sethemery.com is probably the easiest place. And it's just got all the links to other places (laughs) if you want to go there.
1: Easy done. And I'll put the link in the show notes at bleedingdaylight.net. So if you didn't catch it then just jump on the website and you can grab them there. But, Seth, it has been a delight Mm. to talk to you. Thank you so much for the conversation on Bleeding Daylight today.
0: Thanks, Rodney. I really appreciate that. I love what you're doing and I appreciate you letting me be part of it. Thank you for listening to Bleeding Daylight. Please help us to shine more light into the darkness by sharing this episode with others. For further details and more episodes, please visit bleedingdaylight.net.